So let's go to the Lord now, and let's ask Him really to bring His blessings on our city, and then to help us as we come to His Word. Pray with me. Father, thank you for being our God. Thank you that we are in San Diego. What a joy to live in this part of your world. And that's what it is. It's your world. And we want to see people experience the joy of knowing you. We want to see people experience a peace that transcends circumstance. Uh, we want to see relationships healed, people being reconciled to each other, people being reconciled to you. We want to see renewal happen in our communities. Uh, we want to see people loving you in the workplace with the work that we do. And so, God, we pray that you would make this happen. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth, here in San Diego, the way it's done in heaven. And, God, we know that a big part of this happening for our city is that it happens in us. We know that you want to use us to be your ambassadors, that by deed and then by word, you would set us up as pictures of your grace, as examples of what you can do in a life. And so, God, now as we come to your word, we want to be built up. Uh, we devote ourselves to you, Lord, and ask that you would make us new. Expose the parts of us that need to change and pour into the void of uh, your Holy Spirit that evil can be replaced by good, so that sin can be replaced by righteousness, so that selfishness can be replaced by love, so that we'd be able to honor you, not just with our lips here in this service, but throughout the week in every area of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you want to look uh, the scriptures that we're going to be looking at on page 6 in your bulletin. There's a place to take notes on page 7. Um, we're actually going to, I want to give you a bit of an introduction before we read this passage. Because um, I think it's going to warrant an introduction. Um, we're in, again, the first month of our launch of our new life groups. Okay, we have revamped the way our small groups function and work. And, uh, and we're, these life groups, they're, they're small groups that meet during the week in homes. And the purpose of these groups is to help you experience all of God in all of life. Okay, that, that's part of the plan. And um, we actually have a map for the Christian life that these life groups are sort of helping us understand. And uh, this, this map for the Christian life, if you want to know like, what are the components of the Christian life, where the pieces involved in having a healthy, thriving spiritual life, that's really what our life groups are about. And so, Sunil, could you bring up the first slide? Uh, this is the map that we have of the Christian life and what we've seen so far. Right? That a Christian, first, is someone who studies to deepen their faith. And we're going to be doing this in the first week of every month. Um, we have a curriculum called Following Jesus Together. We looked at hope in the first week of this month. And then second... Christians also practice private worship, right? We, we read the Bible so that we can meet God and worship Him. And that deepens our relationship with Him. And so there's a third portion now of the map for the Christian life that we're going to look at today. And that's three. We're going to practice Sunday worship. Okay, Sunday worship is a vital part of our relationship with God. 
In fact, on Sundays, we're supposed to meet God in our service. And we're supposed to come face to face with our God and Savior. We want to be able to see Him on Sundays so that we can show Him throughout the week. We want to see Him on Sundays so we can show Him throughout the week. And this third theme is what we're going to focus on today. Um, and it's interesting because for thousands of years, God has called people. He's called His people to come together and to worship Him. And from the beginning of human history, God set aside one day in seven so that His people can rest and worship together. And all the way back in Genesis 2, He sanctified the seventh day. Now, Leviticus chapter 9, this is the first instance that we have of a detailed worship service. Okay? In the Bible, it's interesting, there's a lot that's talked about in terms of worship, but there really aren't any places in the Bible where it lines out what does a worship service look like. Well, Leviticus chapter 9 actually does that. Um, in the Old Testament, God instituted worship. Corporate gathered worship, he instituted that and defined what it was supposed to be like um, with the tabernacle. Right? Remember the tabernacle? There's a picture of it. Right? You had the big fence, and then you had the entrance there, and then there was an altar, and then a place of cleansing, and then you had the holy place. And the holy place was the presence of God, and there was a veil, right? Um, God instituted worship. So in the book of Exodus, God describes how to build this. And then in the book of Leviticus, God first describes the sacrifices that he wants to offer, or that he wants his people to offer. Uh, in the first seven chapters. In chapter 8, he describes the ordination of the priesthood. So these are the folks that are supposed to run the tabernacle services, right? Kind of like the pastors do today. Um, and then in chapter 9, God actually describes what the Old Testament worship service was supposed to look like. Okay? And so, if you've ever wondered, yeah, what did they actually do here? Leviticus 9 tells you what they did in the order that they did it in. And so in a sense, this was like the first church building. And Leviticus chapter 9 gives us the first order of worship, right? So if you wanted to know, hey, do you have a bulletin for this week? You know, you'd pull out Leviticus chapter 9 and be like, oh yeah, that's what it is. This is what God told us to do. And so for you, for you, like as we dive into this, do you ever wonder, or have you ever wondered, like what Sundays are supposed to be about? I mean, you might not, right? Because sometimes you show up, and after four or five weeks, you're just like, this is kind of what we do. Now, but you ever wonder why? Like, why do we do what we do? What's supposed to happen in our service? Do you ever feel like you sort of show up and you sort of go through the motions? Right? And it's interesting how different people respond in different parts of the service. Some of the folks that are much more intellectually idea-driven, they think, well, the worship service, we're just sort of like kind of playing games until the sermon comes. Because that's really the big piece of what the worship service is all about. It's all about the sermon, right? And you have other folks that, uh, you know, really, their time of really connecting with God is in the singing. And so for them, it's like the beginning of the service is the most powerful, and everything's sort of downhill from there. Um, and then you've got folks like, why do we do the, the, the Lord's Supper every week? Right? What's that supposed to be about? Is that just an afterthought? Because I know for some... People don't understand what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be, and they just think it's a sort of religious thing we do after the sermon, so that we have something to do, so we're not just sending us all out after we hear the message. Right? And so the question is, why do we do what we do? Um, and if we can understand God's design for corporate worship in Leviticus 9, then I think we'll understand what our worship services are supposed to be, 
and what we're supposed to get out of them. Okay, you with me? So with that, let's look at Leviticus chapter 9. It's kind of a long reading, but let me just tell you, there's going to be, God's going to call us people. Let me just give you the outline first, so while we read this, you don't get lost and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Because that's just kind of what happens when we read parts of Leviticus. So, God's going to call his people to come and worship and tell them what to do. And then God's people are going to come, and they're going to offer really four, it's like three sacrifices. The sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering. Okay? And then, then there's going to be a benediction. Okay? Moses and Aaron are going to lift up their hands and bless the people, and then God's going to show up. Okay? That's what we're going to see. So, with that, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 1. On the eighth day, Moses and Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, I'm sorry, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering against the oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting. And all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Verse 15. Then Aaron presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings, for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the oxen and the ram, the fat tail and that which covers the entrails, and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh, Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is God's word. We're going to walk through this. Okay, so if you got lost, if you got confused, we're going to talk about it. Okay? Um, and the first thing that we want to talk about is why animal sacrifices? Okay, because if you're like me, that might be the thing that's, that you're wondering about with anything else. Like, what's up with the animals? Poor animals, don't tell PETA this is in here because they won't like God or his word. Um, why do we have the animal sacrifices? And let me tell you, there's so much that can be said about this topic. But the reason why God has animal sacrifices 
is because God wants to purify the world of sin. Okay? God wants to purify the world. God wants to renew the world. And he wants to take sin out of the world. Okay? Our first parents brought sin into the world. Right? And we have contributed to it. We bring sin into the world and God wants to take it out. Right? God wants to remove sin from the world. And there's really two ways to do this. Okay? There's two ways to remove sin from the world. Okay? One, remove the sinner from the world. Okay? Find out who's sinning and just take them out. And what this means in biblical terms, this means judgment and death. Okay? Another way to do it would be to remove the sin from the sinner. Right? you got two choices. You have to take the sinner out or find out a way to remove the sin from the sinner so that the sinner stops sinning. Right? And the way you do that is through forgiveness and then growth. You, know, you grow to a place where you don't sin anymore. So when God looks at these two choices, God says, I choose number two. Okay? He loves the world. He loves the people in the world. And so God wants to remove sin by removing sin from sinners. And, and you have to understand that if you'll agree with God in his terms on how to do this, then that's part of what it means to have a relationship with God. If you don't agree with God, then God will go back to number one. If you reject God's ways, of dealing with sin and removing it from you, then you will find that God will remove you as a sinner in judgment and death. Okay, but that's not what God wants. God's will, God's heart's desire is to remove sin from people. Okay? Now, to remove sin from sinners, God instituted this system of sacrifices. Okay? And so the animal sacrifices are God's method of removing sin from sinners. And that's why God instituted this. Because animal sacrifices can kill the sin without killing the sinner. If you look at verse 7 in our passage now, page 6, it says, Draw near the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Right? Make atonement. The idea of atonement, to, to atone for sin, that means you need to pay the price that sin demands. That God is just. You're offended when people hurt you. Right? When someone does something against you that's wrong, that it's cruel, if they say bad things about you, if they physically hurt you, you're angry. Right? And, and, and you're just to be angry. It's right to be angry. Same way with God. And when we do things that are evil, when we, when we commit sin, we break God's laws, um, God's justice demands that that sin needs to be dealt with. And so atonement, atonement pays the price that justice demands. Okay? It pays the price that justice demands. So these animals, these animal sacrifices, they are substitutes for the sin. So the idea here is that if you sin, instead of you having to pay for your own sin, you offer an animal that's a substitute. And it's interesting because if you read in the first seven chapters of Leviticus where it goes through the offerings and the different kinds of sacrifices, there were times where the sinner would place their hand on the head of the animal 
and they would be symbolically transferring the guilt of that sin. And the only reason they were allowed to do this is because God said they could. Right? God said, I will accept a substitute for your sins. And so the animal, um, the animal, the, the sin of the sinner was transferred to the animal. And it's interesting because verses 2 and 3 talk about uh, some of the conditions for the animals. Says, and say to Aaron, say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old, without blemish. Without blemish. And so what we see there is that the animal that's offered needs to be perfect. Okay? The animal can't have a blemish because in a sense, like what we're dealing with is a, is a, is a symbolic transfer. And so what God is saying here is, I want you to have the, the blemish of your sin to offer an animal that has no blemish. So you need to offer something that is perfect. To offer something that is righteous, that's sinless in a sense. It has no blemish. And you can transfer your sin, and that innocent animal without blemish will pay for your sin. So without blemish, that's what meets God's standards. And so this was the nature of animal sacrifice. This is why they did it. And what's interesting is that when you read the New Testament, as you open up the Bible and begin to read about Jesus, one of the beginning parts of the Bible, in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, this is John the Baptist, uh, he, says, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, that's what he said about Jesus. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus is called, from the very beginning of his ministry, he's called the Lamb of God. Why? It's because all of these animal sacrifices in Leviticus, all the animal sacrifices in the New Testament, they were pictures of how God was going to definitively remove sin from the world. They all pointed forward. Every sacrifice, every animal that was offered, every sacrifice was a picture of of Jesus, who would come. And the book of Hebrews says, he offered himself once for all. It says that the blood of bulls and goats actually cannot take away sin, but Jesus came to completely remove sin for those who trust in him. And so, there are parallels, as we're going to see, between what was going on in Leviticus 9 and what we do today in our Sunday service. But one of the huge differences, one of the biggest differences is that we didn't come and bring animals, right? Our garage has our cars, but not our herds and flocks, right? I mean, in some ways, it's really interesting if you can imagine the people gathering for worship. Everyone is bringing animals. Imagine the noise, imagine the filth, imagine the cost associated with every time they came to worship they were offering and sacrificing not just the life of animals, but the cost of animals. Right? It was a costly thing to worship God. But we don't do that. We don't do that anymore because Jesus is our sacrifice. Um, one of the hymns that, uh, that you know, sort of handed down and stayed with us, it says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross. Right? As we come to worship, we don't have animals to sacrifice because Jesus is the sacrifice. His death and resurrection show how God now can change us 
can forgive our sin, remove our sin, and heal the world, not by destroying us, but by healing us and the world. Instead, God works within us. And so, what we want to see then, is we, want to, we actually want to see the Old Testament worship service. Okay, let's look and see uh, what it says. Uh, in the New Testament, there actually isn't a prescribed order of worship. You know, there are times where there are verses that hint at, the, at what was done in a worship service, but there is no liturgy. There's no order of service. And so some people have said, oh, well, you know what? That means that churches can do whatever they want. You know, since God doesn't prescribe an order, then you're free to kind of just do whatever you want to do. Um, I don't actually think that's why there's nothing in the New Testament. I think the reason there's no New Testament order of worship is because God had already laid out the pattern for worship in the Old Testament. Okay? And though there are major differences now because of Jesus, and we're going to look at the differences, the order is actually the same. The order is actually the same. So, this is the order. Okay, so again, let me speak to you quickly. God calls us. So we have a call to worship. Then there's the sin offering, right, in verse 15. Okay? Second, or third, then we have the burnt offering, in verse 16. The peace offering, in verse 18. And then there's the benediction verse 22. This is God's order of worship. And it's really interesting because there are so many places where this five-fold pattern is repeated. Okay? This isn't just the order of worship. This is actually how God makes covenants. This is how God renews covenants. And there's so much more that we can say. We're not going to talk about it all today. But so let me, let's just go through these things one by one and look at it. In verses 3 and 4, as we read, Moses called Aaron and said, Hey, I want you to come, say to the people of Israel, take these animals and offer them. And so God calls us. That's how worship begins. Right? It doesn't start with us, it starts with God. God actually calls the people to worship. He knows his people. He wants to spend time with his people. And so he calls them. He says, Come, be my people. Come be with me. He says, Come out of the world and rest with me for a time. And it's because he also says, don't just leave the world behind. Once you leave, once he says, leave the world, come up and be with me. In another sense, he says, come and bring the cares and the concerns of the world with you so that we can talk about it. See what happens to your challenges. See what happens to your temptations. See what happens to the problems that you're dealing with when you spend time in my presence. Bring these things to me and let me speak to them throughout our service. How many times have you been, have you come to church on a Sunday and there was something in your heart that was really bothering you and you felt like the service, either something in the songs or, or something in the prayers or the sermon was just tailored right for you. But that's God saying, to come be with me and bring the world with you. Bring it with you so that I can speak to it. And so for us, this is why we begin our service with a call to worship. Right? It's a reminder that God is calling us. And as God calls us, we worship Him. We respond to God's call by singing, by rehearsing our love for Him, our trust in Him. We rehearse how great he is, how amazing he is as our God. This changes us. It shapes us from the inside out. 
in the same way that going through this liturgy in Leviticus 9 would shape the people because it would teach them. Every element of our service is designed to teach us who we are, who God is, how we relate to Him, and how it connects to the issues of our lives. And so it starts with God's call. Okay, second, verse 15, is the sin offering. Aaron presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering. So what this does, what the sin offering does is it cleanses us. That's what it's designed to do. The sin offering is designed to cleanse you from your sins. And so God cleanses us. But what's amazing about God, and this is his extravagant grace, is that when he cleanses you, he also reaffirms that he accepts you. He reminds you that God loves sinners. So if you have failed, if you're imperfect, God says, I love you just as you are. That's what the sin offering was designed to do. Sin is forgiven. It's removed. Relationships are restored. Acceptance is assured. God takes away your guilt because you know what? This thing, this animal that you transferred your sin to has been, has been killed. The wages of sin is death. And that death price has been paid so that you are free. That's the assurance that God wants his people to have. And so for us, like we actually, we have a sin offering every Sunday. It's on page four. Page four in the bulletin. And this is our sin offering every week. This is why we confess our sins. It's because God wants you to know that when you worship him, he wants you to confess your sins. Not because he wants to beat you up, but because he wants you to be forgiven of that. But you don't understand his forgiveness. And so we do this. Every week. Yeah, so 1 John 1 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So confession is the way that God removes sin from us. Okay? When you confess your sin, then you repent of it. There's power in that. 1 John 1 9 says that's part of what God does, not only to forgive your sin, but to actually give you the strength to clean your heart so that your heart doesn't want to sin in that way anymore. That's the double benefit of confession. So that's the sin offering. Third, is the burnt offering, verse 16. Right after the sin offering. Then he presented the bird offering and offered it according to the rule. And so this sacrifice, it's interesting. It was, this sacrifice uh, was different from the others because the bird offering was in its entirety. It was offered up completely to God. Okay? Um, with the sin offering, actually, the sin offering, part of it was given to God. And what that means is it was left on the altar and it was burned until it all turned into smoke. And the smoke, metaphorically, is rising up to heaven. And God receives this. This is why the Bible talks about the soothing aroma to God. That's the smoke rising up to heaven. And so God is taking that offering. And so the sin offering, part of it was offered up to God. And then part was actually given to the priests. So they can eat. This is how God fed the priests. With the burnt offering, though, 
all of it went up in smoke. All of it went up in smoke. And this is an expression, like the, the symbolism of this is that this is an expression of wholehearted devotion. Okay? To offer a burnt offering meant that you were saying, God, I am completely and totally devoted to you. Okay? Not just a part, but every part. Right? I'm giving my life to you. Right? In some ways, that song, All For You, is an expression of a burnt offering. Right? We are devoting ourselves to God. All of us are given to Him. And if you read in chapter 1 of Leviticus, it describes the burnt offering, and three times it makes the point, verses 9, verse 13, verse 17, it makes the point that this is a soothing aroma to the Lord. And so what that means is that when your heart says to God, God, I want to serve you with all of you. When you say that to God, when you offer him your life, he is wonderfully pleased. He is wonderfully pleased. You don't have to be perfect. Right? If you just offer yourself to him, you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I struggle. I know I'm dealing with issues, but I want to serve you in every area of my life. That says, that is well-pleasing in my sight. And so for us, for us, our burnt offering, I mean, some of our songs are like burnt offerings. But for us, what we do with the burnt offering, this is where we read and we preach the Bible. Okay, we read and we preach the Bible as an expression of our devotion to God. Okay, because this is what the Bible does for us. The Bible reminds us of who God is and its extravagant grace, his amazing blessings, his acceptance in Jesus, the power that works in us. It gives us all the blessings. It reminds us of everything that God has done for us. It reminds us of just how amazing God is. And these are the things that make us want to offer ourselves to God. These are the things that make us think, you know what? Why am I chasing other stuff in life? Like, why am I going after other things? I need to put God first in my life. Right? The preaching of God's word, the reading of the word reminds us that we are to be consecrated to him. It moves us to offer everything that we have to serve him. This is what happens. This is what the sermon is supposed to do. Okay? It's supposed to get you to a place where more of you is given to God. Where all of you is given to God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for training, for reproof, for correction in righteousness. So that the man and the woman of God can be equipped for every good work. So if you want to be equipped for every good work, I want you equipped for every good work. So I want to preach to you. I want to preach to you God's word because that's what equips you to be strong enough to understand what God wants in the rest of your life so that you can be devoted to Him. And so the preaching, the reading and the preaching of God's Word is our burnt offering. And it's how we experience consecration. Right? And so, in a sense, in response to this sermon, because this is part of consecration, my hope is that you will think, wow, God, there's so much more that I can give you in our worship service. You can be confessing, God, I've never thought about this before. I didn't know this before. 
before. I didn't understand this before. I've heard about it, but I never pursued it. Now, God, I want to give you my whole self in worship. I want to give you all of me every Sunday as I worship. I want to devote myself to understanding what we're doing on Sunday so that I can be connected more fully to you. Okay, so that's the purpose of this sermon, is to consecrate you so that you would worship God on Sundays more completely. Okay, and then verse 18 is the peace offering. Right? Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. So this sacrifice was also unique. Okay, the burnt offering, all of it went up to God. The peace offering was different. With the peace offering, a part of it was left on the altar and ascended to heaven in the smoke, and God ate it. Another portion of that offering was given to the priest. And then portion of that offering was given back to the worshiper. So it got split in three ways. God got some, the priest got some, and then the worshiper got some. And the image here, that the image that God is trying to communicate is that in the peace offering, God isn't just accepting a sacrifice, but God is inviting us to a meal. God's inviting us to have a meal with him. He, he wants to eat with us. God says, I want, let's have lunch together. Like, I want to eat with you. And in the ancient Near East, that was huge because to eat with someone meant that they were family. When you invited somebody to your home, you treated them as though they were your family. And that's what God did with peace. God said, I don't just forgive you. I don't just accept you, but I love you as my sons and daughters. So much so that every time you worship I want you to experience a meal That is the peace offering. And so for us, today, our peace offering is the Lord's Supper. This is why we do it every week, because God never, ever wants us to worship Him and not tell us that he loves us and we're his This is the place where God says, because you're trusting in Jesus, we have peace. There's peace between you and you. Your sins have been forgiven already. This is not about sin. This is about you and me having peace. This isn't just that I tolerate your existence, but I love to be with you. This is why in the first century, when you read in the New Testament, when they observed the Lord's Supper, they had full-blown meals. There was so much wine that you could get drunk. Right, we just got a cup. Sorry. There were people who were stuffing themselves. They were getting full. And, and who knows, maybe we'll do this at some point. I thought about this for a while. It, uh, they actually called like a love. It's like a potluck. And then in the midst of the potluck dinner, when they're all eating together, they would take a special loaf of bread and a special cup. They would consecrate with the words of institution. And in the middle of the meal, they would have a meal with God. Maybe we'll do that at some point. Um, So this is the peace offering. And and for us, I mean, how significant is this? That it's not just bread and wine and juice, but it's the body and the blood of Jesus. Right? the gospel transforms 
all the elements of Old Testament worship, and it makes them so much more personal. Because it's not animals now that are being sacrificed, but it's God himself who is sacrificed for us. Okay, and then it ends in verse 22 with the benediction. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And it's interesting because in verse 24, God shows up. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. So what does this mean? This means that God receives and accepts this worship. When we worship him like this, God receives it and he shows up. How does that work today? Well, the Holy Spirit is pictured in fire in the New Testament. And so we don't see fire descend. We don't see the elements of, the, of, of our meal burned up. But the Spirit of God is poured out. And He fills us when we worship like this. And it's amazing because God fills us. The fire fills us but doesn't destroy us. Does that remind you of anything in City Bible reading? Right? Exodus chapter 3. Moses and the burning bush. What was striking to Moses wasn't just that the bush was on fire, but he noticed that the bush was on fire, yet it wasn't being consumed. And so there you have the holy and perfect and righteous God dwelling in sinful people, and they're not consumed. And this is what happens. God fills us. He burns away our sin. Our sin is consumed in worship, but we are not our evil is taken away, it's forgiven, and then it's replaced with the strong spirit of God. We're purified and renewed to walk in new life. And so, in verse 22, when Aaron raises his hands and blesses the people, this is blessing the people with God's blessing. This is God putting his name on his people. Right? This is God saying, you are mine. And the purpose of this is for them to know for sure that God has accepted their worship. That he is your God. That he knows you. He forgives you. He equips you. He accepts you. He strengthens you. And so now, go into life and don't forget any of this. But that's what the benediction is supposed to be. It's supposed to be you receiving the assurance that all these things are true. It's, it's God sending you out on your mission and saying, don't forget what happened here. Don't forget. Because I'm with you and I'm on your side. That's what our service is about. It's God saying, let the reality of our Sunday worship be with you Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, until the meeting, and we'll go through it all over. Because guess what? We need to know this every seven days. There's a roteness to this that's appropriate. There's a good ritualness to this that you want to have ingrained into your being. You want it hardwired in you. Not just the things that we do, but why we do. And so it's amazing because when we think about this, every week we are tapping into a rhythm that God has been using with his people for thousands of years. 
for thousands of years, God's people have been worshiping him this way. You know, and it's interesting because the style changes, right? Some of the elements change. The music changes, right? The sacrifices change. The rituals change. But the relationship with God doesn't change. The promises of God don't change. But they do get better. And so, I want you to know, as your pastor, I am working on this. Okay? Since I've been here, there have been things that we've changed in our service to try to help us experience this. So some of this is on me. Okay? I want to and I really do take this seriously. I want to work as hard as I can so that we don't just come and go through the motions. I want to work hard so I can design a service so that you can experience this. So that your relationship with God deepens every single day. And we're going to continue. I'm going to part one of my goals for this year is to continue to improve our service. Some of this is on me, but some of this is also on you, the worshiper. Okay, your ability to understand this is sometimes based on the preparation that you have, that you do. Okay, and I know life is busy. I know Sunday mornings can be hectic and crazy, but the more prepared you are in your heart to receive this from God, the more of God you will experience every single day. And so, this is why this is so important that we actually want to spend one week a month in our life groups talking about this. That every month, I want you talking with each other about what you experience on Sundays. We're going to look over the course of the year at different elements in our service. Like, what are we supposed to get out of these things? I'm going to be preaching on these different elements in different, part, in different parts of the year. Now, what y'all talking about? And more than that, you need leaders who can actually equip you so that you understand these things. And sometimes talking is cool and ignorance. Right? But we also want to give you leaders that are equipped to actually help you grow into this. Okay? Because I want you to understand this, but I also want you to help each other. And I want you to know this so well that you can teach other people what our Sunday worship is about. So that parents, you can teach your kids, hey, this is why we do what we do. And so this is what we're going to discuss every third week of the month. And that's it. This is your God. This is what worship is about. This is God asking you to devote yourself fully to His design for worship. And if you struggle, that's why what we do next is coming next. Jesus wants to meet you personally so that He can show you how to do this. So that you can interact and commune with the one who perfectly worshipped and did it for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for calling us. Lord, thank you that worship doesn't have to be a mystery. That you spelled it out in your word. And because of Jesus, you've made it even more glorious for us. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and your resurrection. Thank you for, the, for calling us 
You called us to come here. You invite us into your presence. You cleanse us. You equip and consecrate us, Lord. You make peace with us. Enable us. Enable us, Lord, this week to walk in the reality of our relationship with you. And Jesus, there are folks here who don't know you yet. They're exploring you. I pray that this would make sense. That you would help them see that and simply put, that you offered yourself for us. And that you are the sacrifice that we need to be right with God and filled with his presence. Help them to trust in you and pray this in your name.